The student ministry podcast you're about to hear is a sermon preached by Pastor Kurt Skelly at the 2010 West Coast Baptist Teen Camp. Brother Skelly is the pastor of the Harvest Baptist Church in Natrona Heights, Pennsylvania, and we hope this message will be a blessing to you. For more sermon resources, please visit preaching.lancasterbaptist.org. David was anointed as a young man to be the king over Israel. That's the good news. David became the great champion of Israel, killed Goliath. That's the good news. David was put into a place of prominence in the kingdom of Saul. That's the good news. But uh, after just a few short days in Saul's kingdom, Saul began to hear songs that he didn't like, songs that made David the hero. The lyrics made David the hero. Saul hath slain his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. Saul didn't like that. The Bible says that uh, David behaved himself wisely. Everybody praised him. His fellow workers talked about what a great worker he was. Saul didn't like that. And in jealousy, Saul began to plot the demise of David. He began to scheme and Matter of fact, the Bible teaches on several occasions, David was there playing the harp for Saul, and Saul took the javelin and intended to throw that. Remember, Saul now was a great warrior himself, and Saul intended to take that javelin and spear David, defenseless David, with that javelin. Can you imagine that? The Bible says that David escaped not once, not twice, but several times in that very scenario out of the hand of Saul. Saul wasn't done. Saul decided that he would plan a scheme whereby he would offer David his daughter. His oldest daughter was a a girl by the name of Mirab. And if David would simply go out and kill some Philistines, then then he would give uh, David his daughter Mirab. David did go out and fight the Philistines, and David single-handedly killed many of them, but uh, Saul gave Mirab to another man. And then Saul, a second time, said, well, David, if you'll go out and kill 100 Philistines, then I'll give you my daughter, Michael. David went out, and Saul was hoping, of course, that with that kind of, with those kinds of odds, that that David would die. But David not only went out and killed 100 Philistines, but he killed 200 Philistines, came back. And now Saul had put his word out there, and now Saul had to give his daughter to David, and uh, Michael was more than happy to have David to be her husband. And now Saul's more mad than ever. Because not only do the people love David, not only is his son Jonathan David's best friend, but now his own daughter Michael loves him. The Bible teaches that Saul again tried to kill David. This time David had to run out of Saul's court and go home. And Saul sent some soldiers and surrounded the house. And were it not for Michael letting David out of the window to escape and faking as if David were in the bed, making a fake, a fake uh, figure of David in the, in the bed, David would have been killed again by Saul. The Bible says that so David fled to Samuel and Saul chased him there. And then the Bible says that uh, David fled to the, uh, to the priest, Ahimelech, and, and Saul found out about it and Saul killed the priest. And Saul killed the priest's family. And Saul went to the hometown of the priest and killed everybody in the town. I mean, Saul was after David. 
The Bible teaches that Saul went to a place called Keilah to hunt down David. Saul went to a place called Ziph to hunt down David. And Saul just was going to find him and kill him. Matter of fact, the Bible teaches that Saul went into a cave one day, the cave of Adullam. And there Saul was all by himself, and David had the opportunity to kill Saul. I mean, Saul was by himself, and David could have killed him, but David did not kill him, didn't raise up his hand against God's anointed. And uh, David went out and showed Saul that he had cut off a piece of his robe and said, Saul, look it, I could have killed you. You've been trying to kill me. Saul at least temporarily, felt sorry about that and went his way. But later on, of course, he went right back to his, his, his maniacal old self. And here's David, a man after God's own heart, a man who is anointed to be king. He's been hunted down like some uh, animal. He's been hunted down like some dumb animal. All David's done is try to serve God. All David's done is try to uh, uh, please God. And all David's done is try to serve his king. And all David's done is right. That's the testimony of some of you in this room tonight. No, we're not perfect, and David wasn't perfect. But David was doing his best. But I'll tell you what, I've met some teenagers uh, down the road that have tried to do their best. I'm not talking about all of you tonight. I'm talking about some of you. It just seems like, what have you gotten for doing right? You've tried to be faithful, and you've tried to be good, and you've tried to be pure, and you've tried to live right, and you've tried to be kind. And some of you live in unimaginable situations. Some of you are some of the best testimonies in your youth group, and you go home and get cussed out by your parents, if you've got parents. Some of you come from a divorced home. Matter of fact, if the statistics are right, to 50% and even more. One out of every three girls in this room has been touched inappropriately. One out of every six boys in this room has been touched inappropriately. Those are the statistics, my friend. Here you are at teen camp trying to make great decisions. And I peeked a while ago when Brother Schmidt asked the question. Almost every hand in the room went up and said, hey, I've made some decisions for God. Yet things just don't seem to get better, do they? And I'll say this. 90% of life is not what happens to you, but what you do with what happens to you. Did you hear that? 90% of life is not what happens to you because you can't control most of what happens to you. You can't control it. You didn't choose your mom and dad. You didn't choose to live where you live. You didn't choose some of the situations that happen in your life. You didn't choose some of the abuse that you have suffered. You didn't choose that. But it happened. But what can you choose? You can choose what you do with it. Hey, consider what thou wilt do. Here was Abigail, a good woman, a woman that tried to honor God. Her husband was a jerk. Her husband was a loser. Her husband had made some stupid choices. And because of her husband's choices, David and his men were even now on their way to kill the whole household. And some servants came to Abigail and said, Abigail, your husband has made some bad choices, and you're going to have to do something about it. Because if you don't do something now, Abigail, we're all dead. Can you imagine? Abigail taught us a lesson. 
in 1 Samuel chapter 25. An amazing lesson about the fact that you can't always choose what happens in your life, but you can always choose what you do with what happens in your life. Tonight, I want you to listen carefully to a mess- message I've entitled, Consider What Thou Wilt Do. I want us to consider three scenarios that we'll face in life. Three choices that each one of us has with the situations that we face. I want you to consider in the first place tonight that we can choose in life to return evil for good. And some of you do. And some of you have experienced people in your life that have done that to you. You can choose in life to take good to take kindness, to take grace, to take a righteousness, and to respond in an evil way. I'm trying to be good to you. I'm trying to preach the word of God to you. I'm trying to help you. Hey, I prayed for you, and some of you are going to sit back tonight and slouch in your seat and uh, and uh, bother your neighbor and to uh, act as if you don't care, and you're going to return evil for good. That's your choice. I can't make you listen. I can't make you love the word of God. I can't make you care. I can't make you decide. I can't make you change. I can do none of those things. That's a choice that you will make. We all make those choices. I want you to notice in our text tonight, somebody who chose to give evil for good. Would you look all the way back at verse 1 of our text? 1 Samuel chapter 25 and verse 1. The Bible says, and Samuel died. And all the Israelites were gathered together and lamented him. I mean, Samuel was the man. Samuel was one of the greatest men in all the Bible. The Bible says that God did let none of his words fall to the ground. This was the same Samuel that was raised by Eli years before. This was the same Samuel that heard the word of God in the days when the word of God was precious. This was the same Samuel that said, speak, Lord, thy servant heareth. This was the great Samuel, and now he's dead. The Bible says at the end of verse 1 that, David arose and went down to the wilderness of Paran. Poor David, his hero died. David couldn't even attend the funeral. David's out in the wilderness. David's running from Saul. David couldn't even go and lament the death of his hero, Samuel. No doubt that it profoundly affected him. Look at verse 2. The Bible says there was a man in Maon whose possessions were in Carmel, and the man was uh, very great. Now, that didn't mean he was great spiritually. It meant he was very rich. The Bible says he had 3,000 sheep. That's the, way you, uh, that, that's the way you gauged riches in those days. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats, and he was shearing his sheep in Carmel. Now, the name of the man was Nabal. What was the name of the man? Nabal. What was his name? And the name of his wife, Abigail. And she was a woman of good understanding. I mean, she, she uh, was good at her decision-making. She was of a beautiful countenance. Hey, she was smart and she was pretty. Look at verse uh, 3 again. And, but the man was a churlish. That means he was hard and harsh, irascible. A person that uh, oh, did not uh, respond well to counsel. He was churlish and, and evil in his doings. And he was in the house of Caleb. The Bible says in verse 4, And David heard in the wilderness that Nabal did shear his sheep. And David sent out ten young men. And David said unto the young men, Get you up to Carmel and go to Nabal and greet him in my name. And thus shall you say to him that liveth in prosperity, Peace be both to thee, and peace to thine house, and peace be unto all that thou hast. And now I have heard that thou hast shearers. 
Now thy shepherds which were with us, we hurt them not. Neither was there aught missing unto them all the while they were in Carmel. Ask thy young men, they'll tell thee. Wherefore, let the young men find favor in thine eyes, for we come in a good day. Give, I pray thee, whatsoever cometh to thine hand unto thy servants and to thy son David. And when David's young men came, they spake to Nabal according to all those words in the name of David and ceased. Look at verse 10. And David answered, and Nabal answered David's servants and said, Who is David? And who is the son of Jesse? There be many servants nowadays that break away every man from his master. Shall I then take my bread and my water and my flesh that I have killed for my shearers and give it unto men whom I know not whence they be? Hey, who was this man Nabal? I mean, David, the Bible says, was taking care of Nabal's uh, shepherds out in the wilderness. He was protecting them. Nobody asked David to do that. David, for months, had been helping Nabal. Nabal didn't even know about it. And now Nabal is shearing the sheep. And all the shepherds are together, and they're having a big feast. And uh, David sends his servants and says to Nabal, Hey, Nabal, would it be possible for you to feed my men? Would it be possible for us to participate in your feast of the shearing time? I mean, after all, we've been good to you now for weeks and months. We've protected you. You wouldn't have sheep if it weren't for us. Hey, Nabal, can you help us out? Can you feed us? Hey, Nabal, we've been good to you. Can you be good to us? What does Nabal say? No way. Who do you think you are? I don't even know your name. Hey, nice try. A man that rendered evil for good. I want you to consider three things about this man, Nabal. First of all, he was outwardly successful. The Bible says he was prosperous. The Bible says he, uh, he was a rich man. The Bible says that he was of the house of Caleb. Uh, he had a great family. Caleb was the man. Caleb was the one that said, I want that mountain. Caleb was the one that was spiritual. Caleb was one of only two that went to the promised land. Then the Bible says he had a beautiful wife. Hey, if anybody had it made, Nabal had it made. He was rich. He had a great family. And he had an awesome wife. And yet the Bible says he was a man that returned evil for good. You know what I found? I want you to listen to me tonight very carefully. I found some of the most spoiled, rotten, stuck-up kids in youth groups are the kids that have it all. That's what I found. I found the kids that are sometimes the most selfish, the most into themselves, the most snobbish, the most exclusive are kids that have it all. Sometimes I found in the youth group the kids that the that's the, that's the kindest, that's the nicest, that's the most giving, as the kid has nothing. And I, I'm calling for youth groups in this room. I'm calling for teenagers in this room to wake up and realize that if you have a good family, and many of you do, Many of you have great families, and your mom's a Sunday school teacher, and your dad's a deacon, and they try to raise you right, and no, they're not perfect, but they're a good mom and dad, and you ought to thank God for a goodly heritage. You ought to, hey, you ought to go home after camp and go in the door and say, Mom, I'm sorry for being such a jerk, and, and Dad, I'm sorry for being so rebellious, and I, I thank God for you. By the way, every single one of us in this room, I don't care where you live. I don't care what your dad does for a living. I don't care what side of the tracks you live on. Every single teenager in this room is rich by world standards. 
You realize that? You are rich. Or you say, well, I don't have an iPod, or I don't wear designer clothes, or we don't drive a nice car. Hey, listen, I can take you to India tonight and show you what poverty is. I can take you to the Philippines tonight and show you poverty. I can take you to parts of Mexico and show you poverty. Hey, you're rich. You've got a good family, many of you. Many of you. You've got a good family member. He had a beautiful wife. Many of you have a beautiful mother, a beautiful father, a beautiful life. What have you done with it? What have you done with it? You sit back pompously and act, uh, act as if you deserve it. And you sit back pompously and act as if uh, the whole world revolves around you. Hey, that was Nabal, and that's your choice. He was a man that was outwardly successful. But not only was he outwardly successful, I see that he was openly selfish. The Bible says in verse 10, that Nabal answered David's servants and said, Who is David? Uh, who is the son of Jesse? Verse 11, uh, it's my bread, it's my water, it's my flesh, it's my shearers. Can I tell you something? It's not your anything. The Bible says every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. And listen, you don't, not have I gotten, but what I received, you don't own anything. If you've got good things in your life, if you've got gifts and talents, if you've got resources, if you've got a good family, listen, that was God that gave that to you. If somebody comes to you and says, hey, listen, I've been good to you. Would you be good to me? You ought to say, sure, I'll be good to you. God's been good to me. But not this selfish Nabal. No, it was his stuff and his time and his treasure and his talent. He wasn't about to share it with anybody else. Selfish. What a, what a description of the modern day Christian. He was outwardly successful. He was openly selfish, but notice with me thirdly, he was obviously stubborn. Would you look at verse 17 of our text? The, the men are talking to Abigail. They tell her, uh, know and consider what thou wilt do. Evil is determined against our master, against all our household. But notice what they say about their master. Hey, these are the servants of Nabal speaking. They're speaking about their master. And by the way, the people that are close in your life know all about you. You might come to camp and act like you're all that. But listen, your parents know your real character. You might come to camp and act so nice around your friends. But I'll tell you one, your brother and sister, they know your real character. And the, when the servants went to Abigail, they said this about their master. At the end of verse 17, they said, he is such a son of Belial that a man cannot speak to him. Nobody can reason to him. If you go to Nabal and say, hey, Nabal, consider that, he'll say, hey, get out of my face. You can't tell me. Teenagers like that in this room, no doubt. No one can tell you what to do. Your parents say, hey, you ought to, I know, I know, I know. You rebuff against your mother's advice. You rebuff against your dad's advice. And I know, I know, I know, no one can talk to you. Outwardly, or rather obviously stubborn. I received a phone call two years ago. My family and I were vacationing in Florida, as we do every winter, for two weeks over Christmas break. I was trying to spend so much needed time with my children. I received a phone call from a person that I know very intimately, a dear friend. This person said, listen, could you talk to my husband? I said, well, listen, I'm on vacation. Can it wait? No, it can't wait. You see, he's left me. 
and uh, he's, he's going crazy, and I've had my brother speak to him, and I've had a pastor friend speak to him, and, and I know you're on vacation. I know you're spending time with your family, but is there any way you can call him? I said, sure, I'll call him. I called him, and I stay on the phone for two, maybe three hours, pleading with this man. Hey, listen, listen. Don't throw your life away. Don't throw your kids away. Don't throw your wife away. Don't throw everything you've ever, uh, everything you've ever prayed for. Don't throw it away for some stupid, flimsy woman that you met at work. Don't throw it away. I came home from vacation. I went to that man's house. I got on my knees at his doorstep, and I said, hey, please, don't throw it away. But he did. But he did. He walked away from his wife. He walked away from his kids. He walked away from his job. He walked away from his church. He he walked away from his God. Hey, you can't tell him nothing. Oh, by the way, he's listening now, but it's too late. Family's moved on. Wife has moved on. Kids have moved on. Oh, he's listening now, but it's too late. Can't tell him nothing. By the way, some of you, you can't, no one can tell you. Some of you, listen, the ones I'm talking to aren't even listening now. The ones I'm preaching to right now, you've already zoned me out. But listen, can't tell you nothing, but one day you'll be listening. Nabal, hey, you get to choose how you respond. God's been good to you. God's been good to you. Your family's been good to you. In most cases, your church has been good to you. Hey, what you going to do? Nabal returned evil for good. But I want you to see somebody else in this text. Not only are those in... There are people in your life that were, and by the way, that happens in your life too. There are people that you'll be good to that will return evil to you. There's people you'll try to help that will step on your toes. There are people you'll try to serve and they'll spit in your face. There are people that you'll try to be kind to you, they'll turn their back on you. There are young ladies in this room that will marry a husband one day, and that husband, unfortunately, I hate to be doom and gloomer, will walk out the door on you, no fault of your own. There are men in this room, I can guarantee you, you'll get married one day and your wife will walk out there. Hey, listen, I've dealt with it too much. And it won't be your fault, but it'll happen to some of you. I'm just saying, there are people in life that return evil for good. How are you going to respond? Notice with me, secondly, not only do I see Nabal, but I see David. And most of the time I see David in such a good light, but in this passage I see David making a very grave error. See, there are some people in life that return evil for evil. Some people return evil for good. Oh, that's insidiously bad. But you know what? Some people return evil for evil. Notice verse 11 of our, 12 of our text. So David's young men turned their way and went again and came and told him all those things. Hey, David, you're not going to believe this. We went to Nabal. We told him how you've been protecting his shepherds. We told him how good you've been. We told him that you wanted some food. And you know what he said, David? He said, who is David? You know what Nabal said, David? He said, uh, I don't care about that guy. He's just run away from his master. I'm not going to give him my stuff. And how does David respond? Look at verse 13. And David said unto his men, gird you on every man his sword. Hey, guys, get your weapons. And they girded on every man his sword. And David also girded on his sword. There went up after David about 400 men and 200 abode by the stuff. Hey, David said, I'll take care of that. You mean to tell me that he won't feed us? I'll kill him. 
You may not have been protecting the sheep out there in the wilderness, and now we ask him to give us some food, and he won't give it. Hey, let's kill him and kill his whole house. Well, that doesn't sound like David. That doesn't sound like David. The chapter before, he won't kill his arch enemy Saul. Now here's a guy, Nabal, and albeit this guy's a jerk. Albeit this guy is selfish. Albeit this guy has returned evil for good. But the worst thing he did was not feed David. And now David said, listen, I'm going to kill him. Get your sword on. Hey, guys, let's go. Returning evil for evil. Sometimes in our life we're done evil. And we think that that gives us a justification to do someone else bad. Hey, they did me. I'm going to do them. Well, that's the way it's going to be, huh? That's the way you're going to treat me? Well, guess what? That's why I'm going to treat you. Oh, you're going to be mean to me? I'll be mean to you. Oh, you're going to ignore me? I'll ignore you then. Oh, that's the way it's going to be? And that's the way I'm going to be. Hey, I, I, I'm justified now. I return evil for evil. Notice with me three aspects of David's response to Nabal. First of all, I see his humble approach. We already talked about that. He came to Nabal humbly. He said, Nabal, we've been a blessing to you. And Nabal, you're a man of prosperity. And Nabal, I'm sending you my servants. And Nabal, would it be possible for you to feed us? And read again, verses 3 through 9. Uh, David was very humble. David could have gone and demanded. David could have gone and said, hey, I'm the next king of Israel. David could have gone and said, hey, I was anointed by Samuel. David could have said, hey, listen, we've got the weapons and the swords. Feed us. But David didn't do that. David went humbly. David went and requested. David did it right. David was kind. And what did David get for all his kindness? What did David get for all his humility? What did David get for all his graciousness? He got Nabal to say, hey, I'm not giving you anything. That's what you get sometimes. Sometimes you, you go out of your way to be kind to somebody. What do they do? They, they spit it right back in your face. Some of you will go home from camp and you'll have a, a great attitude and you'll go back to your family and you'll think, man, things are going to be different now because I'm going to be a servant at home and I'm going to love my mom and dad and I'm going to be gracious and your mom and dad are going to be, uh, be evil to you. You're going to go home to that friend and witness to him and he's going to cut you off. And you're going to think, why even try? Why be humble? Why be gracious? Why be kind? If that's the way he's going to act, then that's the way I'm going to act. That's natural humanity, by the way. That's the way 95% of people operate. We see David's humble approach. But notice with me, not only his humble approach, notice his hasty action. Verse 12, David's young men told him. Verse 13, David said, get your weapon on. Let's go. Hey, he didn't pray about it. He didn't take time to count to 10. He didn't take time to seek counsel. Just immediately there was a knee-jerk reaction in his brain. I can't believe it. Let's kill him. By the way, the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Maybe David was still hurting over Samuel's death. Maybe David's emotions were ragged, but there's no excuse for hasty action. Let me just say this. Uh, the ha uh, a hasty man usually is a man that's going to sin egregiously. I can tell you so many stories in our ministry of people that acted in haste in the trouble they got into. I can tell you about a young lady, the best, listen to me, the best young lady in my youth group in Connecticut years ago. I'm talking about 20 years ago. She was there at every activity. 
She was there for, for every service obligation. She had the highest standards. She was the one that sang down front and played the music and was the soul winner and sat down front. Went off to a year of Bible college. She was so intent upon being a wife and a mom. That's what I want to be, a wife and a mom, a wife and a mom, a wife and a mom. She always talked about it. Came home from Bible college after one semester, ran out of money. Decided she'd work down at the local grocery store. She began to talk to some friends down there that she made, people that she had tried to witness to, but, you know, she was a, a little bit emotionally distraught. She couldn't go back to school, and she was a little bit discombobulated, and, and she made some decisions that, in the spur of the moment, that were life-changing. She went with a friend, and this is when the Internet first started. Got online with that friend and met somebody in a chat room. You don't see much of that anymore. Now it's all Facebook and MySpace. But back in those days, it was chat rooms. She met this guy that told her some nice things on the chat room. Lived in Las Vegas. Decided she'd take some of her hard-earned money that she was saving for college and buy a ticket and meet the guy. She flew to Las Vegas and landed and got off the plane. I'm talking about a 19-year-old girl that had the best testimony of any girl in this room. Got off the plane at Las Vegas, and that 44-year-old man, whom she thought was a teenager her age when she was online, met her there. Drove her home. They spent the night. She got back on the plane, guilt-ridden and came home, and nine months later had his baby. Hasty! She threw her life away. One bad knee-jerk decision, and she threw it away. Let me tell you about the best Christian I know. The best Christian I personally know is a man that reads and studies his Bible four to six hours every day. A man that prays for every missionary in our church every day and spends, it's not uncommon to spend two to three hours a day in prayer. A man that has a glowing, stellar testimony. A man that is a faithful tither and giver to our church. A man who has not one time ever been to our church. Because he lives in a room smaller than this platform in a place called Death Row in Greene County, Pennsylvania. Because when he was 19 years old, he decided one night to go out with some buddies and drink in a hasty, knee-jerk decision. He got himself high and drunk, went out and shot somebody. Went down the road and shot somebody else. Went up to the lake and shot somebody else. Got caught. And he's in jail for the rest of his life and he'll die one day on death row. Why? Because he made a hasty decision. Listen, he's the best Christian I know. David was a man after God's own heart. He said, let's kill him. Oh, you better be careful. Returning 
evil for evil. I see his humble approach. I see his hasty action, but notice his hypocritical attitude. Would you look at verse 21? Because the Bible gives us some more insight into David's thought process. Now, David had said, that means this was his thought process when this was going on. Now, David had said, surely in vain have I kept all that this fellow hath in the wilderness, so that nothing was missed of all that pertained unto him. And he hath requited me evil for good. See David's attitude? David's attitude was, that was a waste of time to do good. That was a waste of time to be out there serving him. I mean, look at the way he's treated me. If I had only known how he would treat me, I never would have been good to him. That's a hypocritical attitude. If I had only known that he would have been evil to me, I never would have been good to him. Hey, listen, why are you good to people? Are you good to people only so that they'll be good back to you? That's a hypocritical attitude. Are you good only so that you can get something out of it? Are you kind only so other people will be kind to you? Do you work hard only so you'll get paid? Is that the reason? What a hypocrite David was in this instance. What a hypocritical attitude. He was basically saying, if I'd only known what a jerk he is, I never would have been good. Hey, I'm glad that Jesus didn't do that. Because he knew how evil we were. He knew how sinful we were. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So glad that Jesus didn't have that hypocritical attitude. Hey, there are some of you in this room, and probably many, that you're justified right now being bitter against somebody. Who is it? Many in this room tonight say, I'm justified ignoring her. I'm justified being uh, mad at him. After all, you don't know what he did. You're right, I don't. But I know this, you're not justified. Your job is to forgive, and your job is to love, and your job is to express the love of Jesus Christ and be kind and tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. And you didn't deserve forgiveness when you spit at God. and You didn't deserve forgiveness when you put him on the cross. and You didn't deserve forgiveness, but he forgave you anyway. That's what you're supposed to do. See, there are some that return evil for good, heavy on you if you do that. But there are many that return evil for evil. But praise the Lord, there is a third option. Notice what that is. There are some empowered by God himself who can return good for evil. Notice verse 17 again of our text. The Bible says, now therefore know and consider what thou will do. Okay, Abigail, you've got to choose how to respond to this situation. Notice that sheep reacted quickly, or rather I should say, reacted immediately. The Bible says in verse 18, then Abigail made haste. I mean, she knew there was no time to lose. She knew that I've got to do something right now. And by the way, if someone has done you evil, that's your invitation to respond with good right away. Don't let it go. If someone's been evil to you and you wait, you'll get bitter. If someone's been evil to you and you don't pray about it, you'll get bitter. If someone's been evil to you and you don't immediately do something nice for them, you'll get bitter. And Abigail, she made haste. Bible says in verse 18, she made haste. And what did she do? She took 200 loaves and two bottles of wine and five sheep ready dressed and five measures of parched corn and a hundred clusters of raisins and 200 cakes of figs and laid them on asses or on donkeys. You know what she did? She did what the man had requested Nabal would do. She fed them. Verse 19, she said unto her servants, go on before me 
Behold, I am come after you. She told not her husband Nabal. Skip all the way down to verse 23. And when Abigail saw David, she hasted and lighted off the, the donkey, the ass, the donkey, and fell before David on her face and bowed herself to the ground and fell at his feet and said, Upon me, my Lord, upon me let this iniquity be. Are you kidding me? It's not your fault, Abigail. Abigail, you're the beautiful woman with good understanding. You're the one that wants to do right. You didn't even know what Nabal had done until the messengers told you. It's not your fault. You know what Abigail learned? Abigail learned in life it's not about whose fault it is. It's not a fault. It's not about who's the victim. Abigail says, listen, I'll take the blame. Hey, that's a spiritual Christian. I'll take the blame. It's my fault. I should have known better. Hey, I humble myself. She reacted immediately. She responded intelligently. But notice with me lastly, she reasoned insightfully. Look at verse 25. Notice how Abigail reasons with David. David's in the wrong. David's returning evil for evil. David wants to kill the whole household, including Abigail. But Abigail reasons insightfully. Look at verse 25. Let not my Lord, I pray thee, regard this man of Belial, even Nabal. For as his name is, so is he. Nabal, by the way, means foolish man. Nabal is his name, and folly is with him. But I, thine handmaid, saw not the young men of my Lord, whom thou didst send. Now therefore, my Lord, as the Lord liveth, as thy soul liveth, seeing the Lord hath withholden thee from coming to shed blood, and from avenging thyself with thine own hand. Now let thine enemies and they that seek evil to my Lord be as Nabal. David, you've not done anything stupid yet. You've not killed anybody yet. If you want to if you want to do something to your enemies, let them be. They're fools. Foolish people do foolish things. David, let me reason with you. Dumb people do dumb things. You know, sometimes in your life, you're going to have somebody do you dirty. You know why? Cuz dumb people do dumb things. Foolish people do foolish things. My dad left our home when I was three. He was an unsaved atheist. Foolish people do foolish things. Look at verse 27. And now this blessing, which thine handmaid hath brought, she gave him the stuff. Verse 28, I pray thee, forgive the trespass of thine handmaid. The Lord will certainly make my Lord a sure house. My Lord fighteth the battles of the Lord. And evil hath not been found in thee all thy days. Hey, David, you've got a great testimony. Don't mess it up. David, you've not done anything stupid yet. Don't mess it up. David, this isn't you. You fight the Lord's battles. This isn't the Lord's battles. God's going to give you a great sure house one day. Don't stoop to his level. Don't be like him. Look at verse 29. Yet a man has risen to pursue thee. That was Saul, to seek thy soul. But the soul of my Lord shall be, I love this, the soul of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of life with the Lord thy God. Back in those days, that was a phrase they would use. If a person would travel, they would take their valuables and put it in what was called the bundle. And they'd bundle it up, and that would be the way to protect it. And what uh, Nabal, what uh, Abigail said to David is, David, he said, the Lord, the Lord, you're the Lord's valuable one. Whether you're six years old or 16 years old, hey, you're the Lord's valuable one. 
And David, God has bundled you up in his bundle of life and God loves you. And I know you feel like you've been done wrong. And I know you feel like Saul's after you. And I know you feel like Nabal has has been evil to you, but God's got you in his bundle. God loves you. You're his valuable one, David. Great advice. Look at verse 29 again. The souls of thine enemies, them shall he sling out as out of the middle of a sling. And it shall come to pass when the Lord shall have done to my Lord according to all the good that he hath spoken concerning thee and shall have appointed thee ruler over Israel that this shall be no grief unto thee nor offensive heart unto my Lord. Either that thou hast shed blood costless, or that my Lord hath avenged himself, but when the Lord shall have dealt well with my Lord, then remember thine handmaid. What she's saying, she's saying this, and David, there's going to come a day when you're the king. And David, when you're the king, I don't want you to look back and remember this day that you did something stupid. David, I don't want you to look back and feel guilty. David, don't you get it? Stop. David, don't do it. David, don't take the bait. David, be good. Even though he's been evil, be good. Because one day you'll look back at yourself, and I want you to like yourself. I'll say to every one of you, somebody's done you dirty, be good. Someone's done you wrong, be good and love and forgive anyway. You know why? Because one day you'll look back and you want to like yourself. So there I was in my apartment, 24 years of age, and I received a phone call from my mother. My mother who had been left by a father who ran out the door on two young boys for another woman. And my mother said, Kurt, I've got to tell you something. My best friend lives in the same town as your grandparents. That's your father's parents. And your grandfather has died. And I just want you to know that the funeral's coming up in two days. I knew exactly what that meant. That meant my father, whom I had not seen in 15 years. My father, who had not one time sent me a birthday card. My dad, who didn't show up at my high school graduation. My dad that didn't show up at my wedding. My dad that never sent me a dime. My dad that walked out on me and my brother and my mother would be there. I knew it. I got in my car. My wife was on vacation back in Puerto Rico, and I was in Chicago. I got my little Toyota Celica, and I drove 15 straight hours to my brother's house in Branford, Connecticut. I picked him up, and I said, Steve, let's go. He was the four-year-old, and I was the three-year-old. When he walked out that door, we drove down to Nanduet, New York. We pulled into a little diner. One half hour before the viewing was to begin, two grown men stood outside that diner and looked at each other and said, do we want to do this? We gave each other a hug, my unsaved brother. He said, we're going to do it. We drove down to that funeral home and my knees were knocking together and there was a lump in my throat. And I got out of that car that day and I walked into that funeral home and the very first person I saw was my Uncle Bob and I knew him. I looked beyond him and right there in the middle of that funeral home, in the middle of that floor was my six foot five dad who I had not seen in 15 years. There's a million things my flesh wanted to say. 
There's a million things I wanted to do. But the Holy Spirit of God said something different. And I walked across that room and I looked at my dad in the eyes and I put my arms around him and I said, Dad, I love you. Maybe that's why several years later, as he lay as an emaciated, corpse-like individual, dying and rotting of cancer, struggling for every breath, that <sighs> he let me lead him to Jesus Christ. And when he died a horrible death at age 56 in 1997, I have every confidence in the world that he's in heaven. Why? Because our job is to return good for evil good for evil. I hate what happens to you. I hate the pain it causes. I hate this world and the sin that's in it. Through the power of Jesus Christ, we have the ability to return good for evil. Who is it? Who is it in your life has done your wrong and done your dirty? Tonight, decide before Christ, I'm going to do them good. Just see what God can do with that kind. Christianity. Thank you for listening to this Student Ministry 127 podcast. For more sermon resources, visit preaching.lancasterbaptist.org. And for information about West Coast Baptist College, visit wcbc.edu.